Hello, and welcome to At Home in Muskoka, a podcast by the Muskoka Community Land Trust. I'm your host, Sandy Martin. I'm joined today by Christopher Jordan-Stevens to talk about homelessness, or more precisely, to talk about how we talk about homelessness, and how our understanding of both the problem and the solution come into focus when we keep the dignity of the people involved at the forefront of our minds. Chris is a social activist, researcher, and leader based in Huntsville, Ontario, and he focuses on community land trusts, disability advocacy, and housing-first strategies. He's the manager of Supported Living at Community Living Huntsville and the chair of the board of directors for the Muskoka Community Land Trust. You can donate to the Muskoka Community Land Trust by supporting the show on Patreon or on our website, muskokaclt.org, which is also where you'll find today's show notes. Okay, Chris, thank you so much for coming. I'm really, you know, I I have to say that I am extremely excited to talk to you about this because I just know how passionate and interested you are. Um, so I'm glad that you could come. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me, Sandy. I'm I'm really looking forward to, you know, we've had conversations along these same lines in the past, but I I think you know putting them on this format is I hope it's I hope it's beneficial. Yeah, I think it will be. Well, why don't we start with locating you in time and history and space? Maybe not that, maybe not quite that far, but you are here in Muskoka now. We're talking about Muskoka. Yes. How, how, tell me what you're comfortable with. How is Muskoka your home? So Muskoka has been my home uh, for most of my life. I think my parents and I moved up here when I was around three. And then I went away for school uh, for about 10 years. I was away. And then sometime in 2018, my partner Sarah and I decided that we really loved it here. And it never stopped feeling like home uh, when I was away. So it made sense for me to come back. So I currently live in uh, in Huntsville, on the sort of west end of Huntsville. And I work in Huntsville at Community Living Huntsville. Um and it definitely feels like I def when I'm away from Muskoka, it definitely feels like something's a little bit off, um, which just means probably that this is the place that I call home, and it's it's kind of deeply ingrained in me. It's beautiful. <laughs> That's how I feel. Um, okay, so readers or readers, huh? listeners that don't know, when we were planning this episode, you said you wanted to talk about homelessness like right away, and, and yeah. people who are unhoused in our community. So tell me why. I guess um, I find that the discussion around people who are experiencing homelessness, they often jump uh, over some of what are sort of basic assumptions about it. And I think some of the most important features of of that in our community is lost. Um, So, uh, you know, for instance, if you start talking about homelessness in Vancouver, people automatically start thinking about tense cities, people with substance use disorders, um, a specific street even, and they don't really focus on the phenomena of being unhoused itself. Um, So I feel that sometimes we have to go back to sort of the basics and the elements of the discussion around homelessness. Yeah. I don't know if that's that's kind of a, a strange answer, but I do feel that sometimes we get too quickly into the weeds. And I think it's really important to back up and, and talk about some of the basics, because I think when you get back to those basics, the solutions that we know work best uh, become really clear why they work best. Yeah, it's clarity of the, the like what we're talking about. Let's agree on those things or not necessarily agree, but let's be clear about, you know, the sure. elements of what we're talking about. Let's not just say, oh, the, the issue, 
let's talk about the issue of being unhoused or the issue of homelessness. Right. Let's talk about the actual facts on the ground. Maybe. Is that, and, am I getting and, it? Yeah. Yes. And like also what's at stake. Mm. Right. I mean, for example, we think of homelessness generally in really sort of infrastructural terms. Where is somebody living? You know, are, do they have a roof over their head? The, the way we talk about it is um, largely has to do with, you know, housing, which makes a lot of sense. But at its core, um, you know, people who are experiencing uh, homelessness, they're, they're experiencing a very profound system of, of social exclusion, actually, is really what's happening. And so we know that there's a lot of things that come with being, you know, people who are victims of this kind of social exclusion and that it has huge repercussions in our community and, and across the province and, and country. So if you were educating someone or getting them just even up to date with what are the first principles we're dealing with here? Sure. Assume they know nothing. Where would you okay. start? So I want to start a bit differently and I would recommend if people want some edifying on sort of the, some of the more common basics to go on to the District of Muskoka website and get their enumeration report from 2021. And they've got sort of an excellent, you know, clarity of terms and some statistics that they were able to cover through their point in time count. Where I want to start instead is I want to start with the idea that when we speak about people who are experiencing homelessness, the conversation often veers immediately into individual factors. And what I mean by that is when you talk about homelessness, then some people will say like, well, it looks like there's mental health support that's not, people are not receiving the kind of mental health support they need, or people are not, you know, people with disabilities aren't receiving the right kind of support that they require. People with all of these different kind of individual labels often become part of the discussion. And I think that that's part of it. There are clearly people with certain labels that make them more vulnerable in our community. But I also want to take a step back and say that this is also just simply a housing problem. And there's a, a book that I recently read, and I, you know, I would really recommend anyone read it. It was out of the States. It's called Homelessness is a Housing Problem. And they use an analogy that I'm going to borrow from there, if that's okay with you, mm -hmm. Sam. Please do. And we'll link okay. that book to the show notes. We know you're not stealing it. You're just paying no. homage. I'm paying homage. And I mean, it's a, it's, I've heard it before, right? This <laughs> is the most recent iteration that I've heard it in. So I, I'd ask you to think about a game of musical chairs. I take it you've played this game? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. <laughs> with little success, but yes. <laughs> right. So, I mean, <laughs> for listeners who don't know you start off with let's say there's 10 people playing this game they start off with 10 chairs in a circle and people rotate around the circle and they um the music plays this music plays it's usually really terrible music and then somebody stops the music and everyone sits down now the first time around there's enough chairs for everyone but you know every time the music starts up again one of those chairs is removed and so what it, what ends up happening is a competition for chairs is created. At first, there's enough for everyone, 
And then as soon as you create scarcity, you create competition in this case. And now, so imagine people playing this game and now imagine people playing these games with some of those individual factors that I was speaking about. Some of those labels that I was talking about. You don't even have to go into some of those those more common labels we hear. Like we can think about somebody playing this game with a broken leg who broke their leg, right? Yeah. Or we can think about this someone playing this game with a sight impairment. So, you know, locating the chair might take them more time. Or we could, you know, somebody imagine somebody with um, a hearing impairment. Uh, and in that case, you know, it might take them a bit more time to register that the music has stopped or started again. So they would be at a disadvantage in this competition. And it would be likely that they would be the first to be excluded from this game. And in our conversations around homelessness, we usually focus on, well, this person has a broken leg and that's why they didn't get a chair. Or we say, well, this person it has a label of schizophrenia, and that's why, you know, they've been chronically unhoused. But what is equally true is that there are just not enough chairs that are appropriate for the people in our community, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of these individual factors. Just having these things make you vulnerable in a system that is based on sort of competitive elements where uh, people are then excluded from, you know, and it, you know, it's not a game in re real life. Mm -hmm. The stakes are very, very high. Um, and so where I like to focus is, of course, people need support. <laughs> There's, you know, every, that's true of everyone, by the way, Sandy, this is something we often forget, is that we sort of celebrate the idea of independence, I think, a little bit too much in our society. Yeah. We spend large portions of our life depending very heavily on the support of others. That is not unique to people who are vulnerable in our communities. That's just the way life is. Yeah you're born and until you're like, I mean, gosh, I, I, I probably shouldn't have been making decisions until I was like 27, but <laughs> you, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, you know, there, there was a long period of my beginning of my life and there will be a long period at the end of my life where I will be incredibly dependent on my community and on the people in it to make sure that I live a life of dignity. So I, I want to focus on this. I like this analogy because it shows that well, you know, if there were enough chairs, these people, these would not be the same vulnerabilities. What makes people vulnerable is this competition for housing, which means that there's not enough housing access for people who need it. And um, so we can focus on all of these individual factors, and we should, right? We should very well make sure people need the appropriate, the right mental health support, that we treat addiction as a, as a public health concern, you know, not a, you know, not, not in terms of criminality. We know how, we know, we of course need to fight for more funding for all of those services, but I want to make sure to separate those conversations sometimes from when it comes to housing and homelessness, because ultimately that's about making sure there is housing for people to be in, right? Yeah. It's, are there enough chairs around? Because on the one hand, we're, if we, if we ignore that side of things and we just focus on people, we don't realize that actually people who are experiencing homelessness really can't improve without housing in the first place, yeah. right? Which is, and I think this is um, 
goes back to what is called the housing first philosophy mm-hmm. um, or the housing first strategy, which is really the only strategy I think worth a version of it is the only kind of strategy that will work. And the basic idea there is that you have, in order for people to improve and in order for people to live a life of dignity, um, they are going to need some kind of housing. They're, no, they're going to need the infrastructural requirements to fit in and to be included in their community. Um, and to treat people and to try to support people who are unhoused is not very effective mm-hmm. um, without the, the, the groundwork of housing stability. So what I, what I like is that if we shift our perspective from these individual factors to these sort of structural factors, we notice that really what we're talking about here is we, we, we need one before the other, mm-hmm. right? If we're, if we're really serious about supporting people with all of these labels, they need adequate housing. And um, and, and that's required for them to live a life of dignity and inclusion. Um, and that's sort of the basics of the housing first philosophy. And so that's that's one that's one. Does that start to answer sort of your your question, Sandy? Yeah, oh, it really does. And it okay. it really does start to I think exactly what you said at the beginning. When you start to look at this from a, a you know a, not an issue perspective, but a what's actually happening perspective, it does start to make things seem pretty simple in a way. And so I wonder, is it as simple? You can laugh at me if you want. <laughs> is it as simple as build more houses and homelessness? Um, no, of course not, right? <laughs> um, of course not. Um, but I think that, I mean, well, first of all, you know, there's the, there's a lot of questions here about um, the kind of housing, adequate housing, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. It can't just be any housing, right? A building a bunch of luxury condos, if it doesn't have any kind of filtering effect in the market, isn't going to address homelessness. Mm-hmm. And I think it really points, actually, your question kind of points to something really important, which is that everyone's talking about affordable housing, right? This mm-hmm. is a, this is a, this is an issue. You Every, can't escape you know, it. We can't escape it. But depending on who you're talking to, what they mean by affordable housing is very different or attainable housing is very different. You know, if you talk to a couple in their late 20s and what they mean by affordable is housing is, oh, I, I want to be a first time home buyer, but I'm priced out of the market. Right. That's what affordable housing is, right? But if you're talking with somebody who's potentially, you know, um, their income is limited to certain benefits, the government, you know, they have a very limited income. What they mean by affordable housing is something very different, which is, you know, maybe getting rental housing that isn't eating 90% of their monthly income, yeah. right? So what we mean by affordable housing, so it, so if we're going to house people first and, and in order to create the foundations for helping people, you know, in, you know, be included in our community, which they have every right to be, um, we really need to make sure that we're building the right kind of housing. And part of that is actually building um, integrated and inclusionary housing, right? We think often of collecting people. One of the issues of the way that we used to build social housing, for example, was that it was very class specific and it would segregate certain groups of people who fit certain labels. Right. And it was a, it was a, it was already, it was a form of of another form of like sort of a, of, of exclusion, right? It's like, well, here are the social, here's the social housing and those people have these problems. Right. So we didn't really, it it was great that people were housed and that they're, you know, there was usually 
geared to income rent. Um, however, I mean, it, it was kind of like a, a half commitment on the government's part to to really help include people who are, have housing instability in our community. So it's not just build more housing. It's, of course, build the right kind of housing. And then, you know, you also can't ignore those individual labels or those vulnerabilities. And so you have to have the right services at the same time. But housing is an absolutely necessary condition for that. And I know it's kind of, it's a little cyclical or tautological, which is like, oh, you solve homelessness by offering housing. But homelessness literally has that solution in the word right, <laughs> right? it's right like there. the issue is the person doesn't have this thing and so i don't think it's necessary you know cyclical to say well then provide it uh and make sure that we provide it now um that kind of also just to back one step up i think also another important thing about this is what we mean by home mm-hmm right, Sandy, um, we don't, you know, a shelter to me is a kind of biological term, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of reductive. It kind of treats people as just sort of organic mechanisms and certain organisms need this kind of shelter. And yeah, we are an organic mechanism and we need protection from the elements and it's incredibly important for our survival and are, you know, and, and, to be, and to be able to live a life. But I want to distinguish, you know, shelter from home, if that's, if that's okay. Please do. Um, I think it's a really important distinction that often gets lost. Um, because, you know, you, you might have somebody who's living in a shelter, and people don't longer consider them, you know, maybe homeless, but that might not be true right? A home provides more than just the simple biological necessity of shelter. Of course, every home needs to provide shelter. If it can't do that, it can't be a home. But a home is also the sort of central site of human actualization. It's sort of our, it's how we um, step off into our community. It's where we have friends over. It's where we raise our children. Uh, and sort of anthropologically speaking, there's always some home function, even though homes, you know, in different parts of the world look very different. But in each case, it's a condition of inclusion in the community and in the society of which people are a part. And shelters don't provide that. Mere shelter does not provide that. So when we talk about home, we also have to get somewhat philosophical about what we mean by that. And that's often something that's lost, right? A solution isn't taking a bunch of people that don't have any shelter and simply giving them shelter. It's about helping people uh, become connected and build meaningful relationships in their community because those meaning relationships, meaningful relationships haven't had the opportunity to take root when people are kind of unhoused or their housing is unstable. Yep. It, it doesn't, it doesn't allow them to create meaningful connections in their community. And that leads to, I mean, all of it, it feeds back into all of those labels we talk about. And that's why we, we always, you know, there's a kind of interesting cycle, you know, you might, you might become vulnerable because of a mental health issue that you might be having to losing your housing, but losing your housing is going to make that mental health issue a lot worse. Or you could see it that, you know, because of the fates and sort of the economic conditions, you lose your housing. 
and some mental health concerns that weren't there are previously there. So it's not easy to tear apart or to separate those two kinds of factors because they really interplay in important ways. I'm kind of rambling now. Sorry. No, no, you, I really love this idea of the home being sort of the seed of community. It's kind of first, first community. And then that, that is the basis. It's kind of like, I mean, this is, you know, fall planting season, right? So it's kind of like the bulb from which any, (laughs) any community can grow. And if we want to talk about the kinds that like connect underground, now I'm going into biology, which doesn't work, but I I do love that philosophical sense of it's not just the box that you put the flesh into. (laughs) No, it's not. Yeah. And, and And if we, if our solutions treat it like that, it will fail. Yeah. Right. If 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 our solutions are kind of shelter first solutions and not housing first solutions, uh, the research is pretty clear that it will fail. And, you know, I don't. So there's a there's a lot of discussion, too, about housing first and sort of the economic benefits of it, Sandy. Mm-hmm. And I um, because you'll know this, that homelessness is actually a very it's an incredibly expensive thing that happens yes. in our world. Yeah. Right. Um, from a healthcare perspective, from the perspective of enforcement. Um, and, you know, there are often arguments and there's research that, you know, pr- says pretty conclusively that housing people is cheaper um, than some of these alternatives than treating, than trying to, you know, tr- you know, treat people first and then house them. Uh, the, the research is saying, and, you know, we have a very big study in Canada that's quite old now, but that it's, it's cheaper. Um, and I think that's important, but I also think it might miss some of the point, right? Um, which is that I don't think it's, it's hard to measure, uh, you know, to apply a cost benefit analysis to the, the property of human dignity. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? For sure. uh, and, and, I, and I know that, you know, there are fiscal realities, as it were. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, however, I think that we have to recognize that there is also policy decisions here where we are choosing to spend this amount of money on things that don't work instead of spending a lot more money on the kinds of things that do work and that have been research tells us works better. Um, But I also want to be careful when it comes to housing first for it not to kind of disintegrate into this really cold cost benefit analysis, because to me, if housing first was more expensive, but also was the thing that ended homelessness, it would still be the right way to go. Right. right? (laughs) Even if it's, if it's potentially more expensive for the taxpayer, um, you know, like I said, we are all dependent at different times in our lives. And that's why we come into these sort of, you know, these, these contracts with each other that we call societies. Mm -hmm. And, and those contracts say that we, we protect each other from certain things. The problem is with chronic homelessness in particular, the more people live on the liminal space between, you know, inclusion and exclusion, the easier it is for people uh, to sort of ignore that dignity, right? And, and I mean, there's actually a, a really interesting thing that I think is often o- overlooked, which is that it really compromises your ability to be civically involved yeah. if you don't have housing. Right. So you actually kind of 
are pushed to this site, this place where you're, you're, you're in between being a citizen and an, and something else like the other. And it's no surprise that you're treated that way by the various institutions and the powers that be right. Um, anyway, I just, that's just the point where I think that we, 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 that full citizenship itself requires a life of dignity and, and, and a degree of stability and, and housing and community inclusion. And we often overlook that fact. Yeah. Is that that's part of civic life. It is. And I think, I think sometimes in our, in our recognition that things are, are messy and, you know, can't always be quantified. I think sometimes we preemptively strip away some of that, the ephemeral, it's not ephemeral, but it feels like you couldn't put it into a spreadsheet. So maybe we don't talk about dignity. We talk about, you know, employment numbers or something, but sure. if we do that preemptively, I think we all lose. You know, I don't Absolutely. think we get what we need as, no. as a community. Or, or if we try to reduce something like dignity, which is a value and a qualitative category to some kind of, you know, equation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think a life of dignity is something everyone recognizes when they see it. Yes. <laughs> right. right. Uh, and they recognize it when, when they don't see it, when they see the absence of it. Um, those are some pretty basic uh, principles of human relation at this point. And I, and I'm, I hope we're farther along um, than needing to question what that is too deeply. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Except that it is. Okay. I have so many more questions for you, okay. but, yes. but I think they, they might fit into a whole other episode. So let's, okay. let's wrap up maybe with mm-hmm. the big question. What right. is giving you personally hope right now? In regards to anything, this issue, anything, but this issue is so, fine. <laughs> this, yeah. So, I mean, I think that I'm hearing more, I'm seeing more nuanced discussions about this, you know, in the media. I'm also hearing more nuanced discussions about this. I mean, I remember having conversations with people in like the early 2000s about this, and it was still not the best way of talking about this issue. And I mean, I remember. Um, my grandfather once walking with him in Toronto and we walked by somebody and it was really, I was a country guy. Right. So, um, and my grandfather, I wanted to, I asked if we could give this man who was asking for some money on the street, if we could give him some money. And my grandfather's response was like, well, you need to get a job kind of attitude. And I'm, I'm seeing that a lot less. And if only, you know, I understood at that point to explain to him that having a job was you know, you kind of need some sort of stable housing first. So right. that's not, not really realistic. So I think what's give, one thing that's given me hope is just like the general temperature of the water that I'm swimming in, yeah. which is that I feel like things are happening at a more nuanced level. Um, I also, in Muskoka specifically, I feel like we have a lot of incredibly engaged uh, organizations and people and from all angles, from the issue of affordable housing, uh, food security, poverty relief, homelessness. And um, I just, I see us as being often, you know, you know, don't ask me on a bad day, <laughs> but I see us, I see us as a, as a very caring community, actually. I see us care for each other quite a bit and that to value the act of caring, right? And I, and I think that's an important thing. I, I see people starting to value the act of caring about each other <laughs> and, I think that's important because, you know, economically, if you work in a care industry, you're generally not paid very well. Right, right. Sandy? So, <laughs> yeah. um, the, 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 
you know, the rewards for care are, are, are not as monet, you know, you, you don't get paid for caring as much as you should typically. In fact, you know, the most well-paying jobs often are <laughs> very sort of uh, uncaring. Totally. And and we, and in fact, we don't incentivize care economically, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, we don't incentivize people to pursue a life of caring for each other. Um, but I'm definitely seeing in, in my community, I have not, I have not necessarily felt that way. And in the company I keep here, I think, you know, I think about the food banks, I think about Mana Food Bank and how long that's been around. And I'm aware that a food bank is really a Band-Aid solution to a bigger problem, but they're doing amazing work, right? Uh, it's just one example where I, where every time I see that, it gives me hope um, because I see people who are actively pursuing change and and in the right way and in a nuanced way. That's what's giving me hope is my community. That's like a really kind of a cop-out answer. Um, it's not. But I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that from elected officials more too. I mean, in Huntsville, you know, I, I'm hearing it more at even the, in the lower tier council level, people talking with more nuance about these issues and at the district level. Um, so I really think we're, we're moving in the right direction. And not only that, but it seems like there's a growing degree, there's a growing amount of energy behind it. Um, so that's what gives me hope. Oh, well, and that, you know, that's why I like ending with that question, because I always end these episode recordings with a feeling of hope myself. So uh i i am really grateful that we got to spend this time together thank you chris yeah thank you sandy it was um anytime it was i can talk about this stuff as you can probably tell for kind of an endless amount of time oh i've got a whole season (laughs) planned out with just you (laughs) please god no for your listeners sakes Thank you for joining us for this episode of At Home in Muskoka, a podcast by the Muskoka Community Land Trust, a nonprofit dedicated to place-based, sustainable solutions to local needs, including housing, food security, social enterprise, and community spaces. Visit muskokaclt.org to learn more, donate, and to get involved.